think this thing still works. How you doing? Matt Jolly here on Warbird Radio. Glad to be back with you. Been off, uh, you know, rebuilding the website and doing all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you know what actually happened. But we were with the same hosting company for about 10 years. And literally overnight, uh, the whole website just shut down. And when we realized what had happened, I just knew that it was going to be, you know, a long time before we got it back up. And well, here we are. I'm joined today by my good friend, Wayne Boggs, the air boss, Wayne Boggs. And we're not here to talk about hosting companies that go out of business in the middle of the night and your whole site crashes. But if Wayne had been there, Wayne, it was a foreign owner. The guy bought the company and then racked up like $9 million in debt and fled back to the Emirates. <laughs> that's what I'm told. And that's that's when the hosting company shut down. So if you'd been involved, you would have ripped his little arms off and beat him with him. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> Well, that's a possibility, he, I guess. Yeah, he would have come so down maybe like getting a, a little elderly to be ripping people's arms. <laughs> I don't think so. Came down like a bag of hammers. There's all these Wayne Boggsisms for those of you who don't know. Uh, in the air show world, when Wayne gives the briefing in the morning, uh, pilots and and producers just love to hear Wayne's speech, and uh, I love it too. I love it so much that you're in my books, and uh, just a, a great man, a former Marine who. Uh, who learned, I guess, about flying in airplanes from your mother, didn't you? Uh, that's correct. Uh, she was an aviator uh, uh, in back when women were not necessarily aviators. So uh, that uh, very proud, proud of her. It sort of that's what sparked my interest in flying, and it, uh, it really neat. She flew PT 19s did she not? She you, she flew PT-19s. She was an instructor at Emory-Riddle when it was down in Miami, and that was their main airplane they were teaching in down there. And, of course, uh, much later on, after a career with the uh, the Federal Aviation Administration, you uh, you found a PT-19, and it was not a flyable aircraft, if I remember correctly. You bought a project. And- uh, that's correct. Um, I, I always wanted to build an airplane, you know, and you – Back then, uh, it was, you know, well, I'll build a pits. But uh, <laughs> my my lovely wife says, is there two seats in that pits? And I said, uh, um, I don't think so. And she goes, well, that's not a good idea. So the pits went right out the window. And then I was thinking about, you know what? I always liked this airplane that my mom uh, taught in and stuff. And a friend of mine. Uh, who was a controller at O'Hare. Also, we were both, we worked together at O'Hare. Uh, he was a, a, a big general aviation pilot. And he says, and we happen to be talking about PT-19s. And uh, a week later, he comes back in. He says, hey, I found one in a uh, um, trailer plane. It's a basket case. And, uh, Perfect. But I don't think he wants much money. <laughs> Perfect. I there that just gives me that gives me hives to just think about a basket case PT nineteen being dropped off on my front porch. I mean seriously, but uh, the center section on that thing is it had to be a nightmare. Well, the center section is if it's uh, not in uh, good shape. 
um, they were they were manufactured actually by a piano company in New York. A lot of very very intricate woodwork in there. And what happened to the the PT nineteen world in the uh, the days when uh, you know during the war and after the war. They, they were basically an expendable airplane. I mean, being all wood and fabric, uh, wood, parts of it are metal, but the majority of it is all wood and fabric. They were, they were what I guess you would term an expendable airplane. Uh, they, they stayed outside, of course, in the rain and whatever other type of weather conditions. So they, things like that have a tendency that if the, if the, um, Bugs don't eat it, then uh, it, of course it rots. And they used to do what they call an uh, ice pick test on the bottom of the <laughs> oh center section of the wing. Yeah. And what they did not, re- they would get under the center section of the main spar and shove an ice pick up in there. And of course, if it went in real easy, then the main spar is rotten. They destroy the airplane. But what people or those folks did not realize at the time that the, the wing has a lot of dihedral in it, so the center section was basically flat on the bottom. So they put a cap strip on the bottom of the main spar to continue the line of the dihedral to make it look, you know, nice, so to speak. And what was rotten was the cap strip, not the main spar. So they were actually destroying good airplanes thinking that the main spar was rotten. Ed, was yours rotten, or was it uh, just the cap strip? Nope, it, it, not even the cap strip. That that airplane, I purchased it, and or first of all, I went up to see it. Uh, my mother was still alive then, and uh, she went to. It was in Andover, Massachusetts, from a, a gentleman who uh, it it had belonged to him, and it needed. Uh, some tender loving care. Uh, actually it needed to be rebuilt. He lived on the side of a hill and if he had an open area under his house, I mean a huge open area under his house. So he put the tail wheel in his pickup truck and pull that thing to his house and stuck it under his house and was actually going to rebuild it for his children. Well, evidently, they didn't have any interest in the airplane, and he minor, eventually... Minor problem, you know, I mean... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. They don't want it. <laughs> well, I'll build exactly. it anyway. <laughs> so, during this period of time, he enclosed the bottom of his house with that airplane in wow. what is now a, an enclosed basement. Um, he had disassembled a lot of it, and but the floor, believe it or not, The floor was dirt. So that thing laid there and sat down there for 18 years. Mm. And he never touched it. I think some people, there was some, uh, like the wings are uh, covered uh, with mahogany veneer. And there were some places, evidently, somebody walked down there and stepped through between the ribs and busted, you know, the veneer and stuff. But when I went and looked at the airplane, actually, there was no corrosion on the airplane. There was no what you would term rot on the airplane and stuff. So I 
of course, give the man $4,876,212, which that seemed like that amount during that period of time. And went back to Chicago and uh, picked up the family station wagon and a car trailer that would hold two cars type of thing and lugged it to Andover, Massachusetts and loaded that airplane up and drug it back to Chicago. Goodness uh, gracious. And that was it, how uh, many years ago when you found this thing? Uh, this would have been 1983. Wow. And you still and have it, it today. Yeah, it took us three. It took me three, actually, between myself, all my children, and Carolyn, it took us three years to restore. And we started flying it in 1986. Uh, Bill Wagner of Wag Arrow, um, he had loaned me a corner of a hangar up there in Burlington, Wisconsin. So once I, everything got so big at the house and refinished the house, I lugged it up there to put it all together. <laughs> and it was just about done. And it had some finishing touches left on it, but he came over one day and he says, uh, you want me to test fly it? <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, sir. Turned his hat on backwards, climbed in, took off, flew around the airport for about 25, 30 minutes, and uh, landed, got up, turned his hat back around. He said, don't touch a thing. Wow. And, uh, yeah. Wow. Made me pretty proud. Well, you should be proud of that, I'll tell you. I want to talk briefly about, because we have a shared love uh, here, people don't just tackle a project like this today. I mean, you, you hear about uh, a restoration of an aircraft, and you, and you sort of – you sort of have to look at the person and then wonder what their background is. And, and where I'm going with this is look, look at chef Pitts, uh, Clemens Kulig, a, a great aerobatic guy, but this is a guy when you really get to know him who grew up in a model airplane shop, his dad owned a model shop. Clemens was, was knee deep in reading and the design and, and craftsmanship that went into building not only a model, but of course, we all know he built a Pitts. He wasn't worried about putting a second seat in it. And he yeah. went that route and built a very nice Pitts and then taught himself how to, you know, how to fly it at air shows. And, and what a guy. But you came along building radio-controlled model airplanes, and, and that had to help in this process. And actually, very much so. This redoing or rebuilding this airplane, so to speak, uh, of course, as I took it, now these were back in the Polaroid uh, camera days. Uh, everything that was not already disassembled, um, I took pictures of before I disassembled it so that I knew exactly how it was supposed to look when I reassembled it. Um, and because of building, you know, model uh, radio control airplanes and model airplanes, this was actually like building a big model airplane. And actually, in some cases, easier because the pieces are bigger. <laughs> so, and, and covering uh, was, except for rib stitching, covering a, a radio control airplane is a lot like covering a, a real airplane. Uh, you're using, you know, the latest uh, heat shrink fabrics and stuff, and you glue the fabric down and, and tack it where you need to, and then you heat it with a heat gun that shrinks up nice and tight. And, of course, applying, you know, uh, chaff tapes and all these types of things. And then, of course, learning how to rib stitch was not the easiest thing in the world, but it uh, 
was able to do that. So it, building model airplanes actually gave me a big advantage in restoring this airplane. But these are they were the restoration. I've restored a couple of cars and and stuff, and I get a tremendous amount of enjoyment out of uh, doing stuff like that. We're talking to celebrity air boss Wayne Boggs, who's also a warbird restorer himself. A lot of people don't know that, and uh, and a pilot. We're going to get into more of Wayne's backstory here in just a few minutes. But we got to take a quick commercial break, so stay with us. We'll be right back with Wayne Boggs. Supporting bees the old-fashioned way. This is Warbird Radio. Tune in. Take off. Meet Miss Evelyn. She's been eating Tommy's hot dog salad for years. In fact, she's the one who invented it. Well, my daddy was a coal miner way back when, and he used to tell me, say, Evelyn, darling, I want something that'll last me from lunchtime all the way to breakfast time because your mom is cooking so bad. So one morning I woke up and I made daddy some famous hot dog salad that I learned how to make back in high school. And he said, well, Daddy, darling, what's this? And I said, well, Daddy, it's Evelyn's hot dog salad. He said, Evelyn, nobody wants nothing named after a fat girl. That just sounds awful, Evelyn's hot dog salad. I said, well, Daddy, we'll call it Tommy's hot dog salad, named after him, <laughs> Tommy. And it just caught on. You know, people just said, hmm, what's that? It's just so good. And I said, well, it's Tommy's hot dog salad. Try a fresh hot bowl of Tommy's hot dog salad tonight. It's available in two flavors, El Tommy Tom Tom Fiesta and our traditional Tommy's Choice, both made with pure 100% hot dog meat. Try a bowl today, and you'll be saying... It's just so good. Reminding you that radio engines don't leak oil. They just mark their territory. This is Warbird Radio. Tune in. Take off. Yeah, welcome back here to Warbird Radio. I'm Matt Jolly, joined today by celebrity air boss Wayne Boggs. Wayne, you ready for some hot dog salad? What? I, I can't talk. I got my mouth full yeah, of you're hot dog salad. <laughs> chewing it right up. Best stuff on the market you can get there. <laughs> Tell me the story about about the uh, the first flight that you had in your PT-19. Well, actually, it wasn't the uh, the the first. It was the first taxi. The uh, first taxi. This yeah. Is, all right. It's um, I um, I had ample time in a number of different type of airplanes, uh, from Arrows to Lances to uh, you know all types of Cessna aircraft. Your your normal stuff that uh, the majority of the pilots fly, but I had nothing with that little tiny wheel in the back of it. So actually, as I was uh, putting the airplane together, uh, it, especially up there at Wag Arrow, uh, people would come in. They'd be talking. The first question they'd have, "Well, how much tailwheel time you got?" And I'd go, uh, "I don't have any." Oh my God, you're going to kill yourself! You know. So I am a very paranoid individual now about flying this airplane as it gets finished. Well, the A and I up there who became a good friend of mine who was signing everything off, whom I actually thought was a pilot. Uh, the airplane got to a point where you could actually taxi it around. It wasn't finished by any means, but uh, you, the engine was installed and um, everything was on it. It just had a lot of finishing touches to do. 
So one day he says, oh, Wayne, let me take you out and teach you how to taxi the airplane. So Burlington, Wisconsin, it's a paved runway and a grass strip. So we take it over to the grass strip. I'm in the front seat, and he's in the rear cockpit. So he says, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to run down this grass strip, and I'm going to show you what you need to do and all of this. So he he pushes up on the power, and we taxi at a, at a fairly fast clip all the way to the other end of the grass strip and turns back around. Then he says, now I'm going to raise the tail oh. and show you how to do that. So when you're taxiing, you rate that, which to me was a very unnatural act to push the stick forward. So he does that and he pushes the stick forward and it raises the tail and we go scooting down the runway and he drops the tail and comes to a stop and turns around. So he says, now I want you just to taxi at a fairly good rate. Don't raise the tail, just taxi to the other end. Now you have to understand I have never done anything with an airplane with a tailwheel. So I go, okay, here we go. So I push up on the power, and I at a fairly good clip, I taxi to the other end of the grass strip. Now then my mind starts going, huh, there ain't nothing to this. That's, a, you know, evidently I'm the greatest pilot in the entire world here. Uh, people just don't realize that. So I turn the airplane around, and I says, I want you to go the other way. Now I want you to raise the tail. Keep it up, and then as we approach the other end, it's the tail back down and stop. I did this. Now I fully realize I'm probably the greatest pilot that's ever born. That's right. There yeah. is there is nothing to this, all this going to kill yourself and all of this kind of crap in that. And, hell, I mean, let's fly. So, <laughs> I'm ready. Sign me up. So, so he says, okay, Wayne, I want you to do it again. <laughs> so I uh, turned the airplane around and pushed up on the power and pushed that stick forward and down that runway I went. And probably maybe halfway down, the tail passed me. Hate <laughs> <laughs> it, it when that happens. It just, I mean, so abruptly that it just, of course, it scared the holy hell out of me. And it just flung me up against the side of the cockpit crummy there. And, of course, I let go of everything because I had no clue what the hell was going on or what was happening in that. And, of course, he in the back seat, you know, he chopped the power and, and that. And the airplane made two complete revolutions before it oh, came to geez. a stop. <laughs> it, it just, it, uh, I then realized that I wasn't possibly the greatest pilot that was ever bored, that uh, – I might ought to learn how to do this before I do this again. And uh, so I, I, it, it, um, that, that made me very humble with, with that airplane. So, well, and let's talk about this a little bit. Let's dig, let me dig as a journalist a little bit deeper here. Um, what else did you learn about the guy in the back seat? Oh, well, he wasn't a pilot. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was an A and I. You know, he told me later. He said, "Wayne, I'm not a pilot. <laughs> going, Much less okay. an instructor." Glad we didn't take off. <laughs> I just love that story. I I absolutely love that story. It's one of my favorite that you tell. Yeah. But you but know, he's a great guy. I mean, in well, fact, sure I got he is. In, 
uh, I got him hired by the FAA as a flight standards guy. Well, there you and, go. Uh, just, just a great man and stuff. But I mean, he knew how to taxi. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about that. The, the, the all the all time state champion of taxiing an airplane <laughs> yes, with Wayne exactly. Bugs. So when you're when you're watching all this stuff in the air show world, I mean, you fall into the same. My my biggest fear, and I think about this every time I get in an airplane, is don't die, don't don't do anything stupid, because if you do, they're gonna every all of our friends are gonna come back and they're gonna be like, what was he thinking? You know, he's oh, yeah. he's just an air boss or he's just an announcer or whatever. And and that's always in the back of my mind. But I but I think that when you build an airplane like this, or when, you know, in my case, when you when you work on it and you're you're so involved in that aircraft and, and everything that goes on with it, you feel like you know it a little bit better. And and maybe that's where some of that confidence came from uh with you early well, on, is you knew the airplane. It, well, that and um I've been around aviation, well, basically all my life, in a sense. You know, and a, an airplane talks to you all the time. Uh, and it talks through you a lot of the times through your backside. And you you feel, you know, it's, it's like your car. You've had your car for five or six years. You drive your car all the time. The slightest vibration in the steering wheel or the slightest little tick noise anywhere alerts you. Hey, there's something going on here. Well, an airplane is very, very much like that. And a person that is strictly mechanical in an airplane, you, you push the yoke of the stick forward and the airplane goes down and you pull it back and the nose comes up and you turn it and it turns, uh, that has no feel for the, for the airplane and, you know, in, in keeping the ball centered or anything like that. It just, they're, to me, they're, it's only a matter of time before they hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. So, yes, you're very conscious of, of uh, I think, of an airplane that you work on constantly or rebuilt or that, or just the fact that you respect what you're in, that it can hurt you or hurt someone else. There's a lot of people that are getting into vintage military aircraft right now who finally have the money to afford it. Uh, who might not have the training, who might not have the background, uh, but they're willing to spend the money on it, and they're willing to uh, to invest the time in that. And and there's more and more of these new owners, and for that matter, new mechanics uh, that are coming on, uh, who might not have ever worked on a round engine or a you know an inline engine uh, like a Merlin or an Allison. And we're seeing more and more of this uh, this next generation of Warbird pilot. Uh, come along not a lot of them are out there rebuilding pt-19s and they don't have this intimate knowledge of the machine uh, that you've been talking about what's your advice as someone who you know works in the air show world and i say that because a lot of people when they buy these airplanes they want to go show them (laughs) off and fly them what's your advice to these new owners well you know the the world has changed in, in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it, you know, there's, there's people out there that think that, you know, these old warbirds and stuff should just strictly be in museums and not be flown whatsoever. Uh, especially when, you know, when unfortunately one would crash and stuff that just feels, feels their fire. Um, what I've noticed is a lot of people that can afford especially your heavy iron warbirds and stuff like that. They don't, they don't necessarily fly them. 
you know, they have them restored by a reputable company, and then they they seek out um, a very trusted individual to fly that airplane for them. And then once it gets there, you know, to show it off, but not necessarily fly it. They they may fly it, especially if it has more than one seat, but they generally will take somebody with them. Uh, but there, there are a number of them out there, too, that actually, because they have the money, they, they go to, you know, to places like Stallion 51 and stuff like this. To, to gain as much knowledge and skill as they possibly can and uh, to, to make sure that they are capable of, you know, situations that may be arise. And they practice all the time, too. Yeah. Well, there you go. Practice, practice. And when you go down to Stallion 51, take your mechanic and let them go down there and spend some time with the other lotter box uh, and and soak up some of that knowledge when it comes to the the daily love and care of that aircraft too, because cannot overstate this enough that uh, there are just as few mechanics as there are pilots now with any experience when it comes well, to caring exactly. for these things. Well, exactly, and you you have you if you're conscientious about it and and that and you don't want to, as you put it, die. Yeah. Then you'll seek these people out and and take whatever you know amount of time and knowledge and resource it takes to to become confident in the machine that you're going to operate or if go you cut buy those a corners, yeah yeah yep. if you cut those corners you know and think uh, i'm the greatest pilot that's ever born i don't need this then uh you know you're destined uh for a rude awakening the there, tail's going to no pass you yeah just yep. yeah, yeah it that's, is that's the right. tail's going to pass you I want to end this uh, with a story, if that's okay. We've been talking about maintenance. We've been talking about uh, flying, and and there's a lot of great pilots who you've worked with over the years, and, I mean, some of the best, really and truly, the absolute best, and uh, the people who have flown the fastest and the highest, and and you call them all friends. But uh, there's a story that I think would make a great cherry on top of this big Wayne Boggs ice cream sundae that we've built here. And I want to leave the names out. So would you do me the, because I don't want to get sued. So leave the name <laughs> of the aviator out. But uh, this particular aviator at one point flew a, uh, flew a, a PT-22, if I recall. And uh, there was a very nice one that had shown up at a show that you used to uh, frequent. And you arranged for this World War II vet to go fly uh, the old PT-22. And that's where the story picks up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, it, it was, uh, I knew this individual well, and we're at an air show and he, this individual asked me if there was any PT 22s around for that was the first airplane he learned to fly in and would really love to fly one. <laughs> so actually I, I knew these brothers that owned two of them over in another airport and by the stroke of luck, got one of them on the phone and says, Hey, could you possibly hop in your PT 22, yeah. bring it over here? Because this gentleman would like to fly it. Of course, within about 35, 40 minutes, it shows up. So this individual, I briefed this individual on a lot of things that they had to do at this particular 
airport that uh, where please don't fly through this. Yeah, don't fly don't through the ultralights at the end of the runway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and don't fly through the helicopter patterns and stuff. And it uh, there's a lot of head nodding and, and this type of thing. So uh, uh, unfortunately, it took about. Uh, the airplane did not have an electric start, so the individuals in there, uh, it wore about three of us out trying to start this airplane. Once we finally got it started, off he goes, and <laughs> right through the helicopter pilots and <laughs> right through the ultralights. Man, it looked like a bomb burst on its worst day of <laughs> this airplane going through these different patterns. Airplanes and helicopters are going every which way. So there's no radio, of course, and uh, all this this individual that owned the airplane that's standing next to me, he is about to have a stroke. Um, I'm bad. He's I mean, going to tear my airplane up. He's going to wreck my airplane. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Right. So, but, but what an makes, honor to have him wreck yeah. your airplane <laughs> yeah. of all so the he airplanes. Makes a, a low approach uh, <laughs> down the grass runway and then flies right through the helicopter pattern again and right through the autopilot pattern again. So uh, as he comes in, now he's going to recover. So we're standing there going, oh, thank God he's going to land. And as he goes by us, he's screaming, no brakes, no brakes, no <laughs> brakes. And there's a slight little gully, uh, just enough. And there's a windsock down it. And he, the airplane just sort of disappears off oh, the side gosh. of the grass runway in that little gully. And all you see is this, you know, all this massive dust cloud and everything like that. And we're thinking, Oh my God, he hit the windsock. And this guy now is really having a stroke that always wrecked my airplane. And then you hear this and it comes out of that gully and he's taxiing back. And then, uh, he does uh, give me the finger. Yeah. <laughs> the one finger. <laughs> like it's my fault. <laughs> so, I took that as a term of endearment. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. Wayne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just love it. But that, the point... that individual was happy to get his airplane back. He was gone in about three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point I'm trying to bring up here is just because you're truly one of the greats. Uh, there's no excuses here. You gotta you gotta know the equipment. You've got to trust the person who hands you the airplane. And if it's Wayne Boggs, you know, you, you might think twice about it because you know, it's Wayne. We all know and love you, but I, yeah, yeah. So, so be on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Be safe, be smart about it. And, uh, and if you do find yourself coming down like a bag of hammers in Wayne Boggs's airbox, what are you going to do for him, Wayne? I've got people that will guarantee they'll be right there waiting on them. There you uh, go. Guarantee it. Put, time to put our game face on, right? Oh yeah. Game face and focus. There you go. Wayne Boggs, celebrity air boss extraordinaire, the air boss for many of your favorite air shows across the United States and now in Australia. Thanks for coming on Warbird Radio, and I hope to uh, I hope to go fly in your PT with you one day. That'd be a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Always. Talk to you real soon. And, of course, like and subscribe right here at warbirdradio.com. Until next time, so long for now, everyone. Thank you.